0: Revived Thoughts is a production of Revive Studios. This is Troy and Joel, and you're listening to Revive Thoughts.
1: We know exactly what Paul meant when he had said there was a liberty, a freedom, a gladness in prayer, which infused his heart as he prayed for the Philippians
2: every episode we bring you a different voice from history in a sermon that they delivered. today's sermon was brought to us in the probably the early 1900s and it was preached by fb meyer troy troy you sound like you are in a hard stone uh, possibly classroom maybe somewhere in the remote jungles of cambodia is that is that accurate would you say
0: yeah, that that's definitely accurate. So if my sound quality is not up to normal par, I do apologize. I am recording this in a pretty much a stone castle, is what <laughs> it feels like, uh, or a cave. But I am teaching, I am in a, in a classroom right now at my school. Is this your classroom?
2: School. Is this the classroom you're teaching in? actually no it's not so I'm just, I just you, you ducked into some random, <laughs> random classroom
0: that's exactly what happened so I just grabbed a classroom in the library so I do apologize we we had plans to get sound quality back up to snuff but we did say there would be some bumps on the road and sure. this, this super echoey cave I'm in is currently one of those bumps <laughs> it, it, so. it,
2: it does sound like you, are, you just <laughs> have like a laptop and you're hunched over a rock in a cave that's what it sounds like
0: <laughs> so hopefully you guys can still hear me well enough to enjoy this episode on F.B. Meyer Joel. F.B. Uh, Meyer. Did, so Joel and I were talking and before this episode and Effie Meyer is a name that just sounds very familiar. He seems like somebody we've heard about before but yet when we tried to figure out why we could not place him. So if you are listening right now and you know why he sounds so familiar, if you know what book or you know famous preacher quotes him or something like that maybe let us yeah, know there's something we were,
2: like in our bible college you know era or the, you know like we I, we must have read a book by him or something because we both yes. recognize the name but i have no idea like you I, know if you asked me i would have no idea where i heard of him we can't quite place our finger on it
0: yep so i'm not sure why either now he is and then this kind of goes back actually that kind of perfectly ties in To his story because there are people in history Joel we have done stories and we have done episodes on people who were extremely wildly influential in their time very important people and yet nobody like remembers their story nobody writes down their biographical information we don't really get anything from them and unless you go buy like a $60 biography tome from some academic you're not going to know who this person was. Um, a person that we did that's very, like, reminds me of that is Theodore Kyler. If you've not listened to that episode, he has one of the best episodes on the value of human life you'll ever listen to in our entire podcast thread. It, it really is amazing. And he ran the largest Presbyterian church in the 1800s in America, in New York City and he was friends with Spurgeon, he was friends with Moody, he knew all these famous people, and yet when we did an episode on him, literally no one had ever written down any of his biographical information like what was he like as a kid what was he like as a preacher anything like that and it was really tough doing that episode even though he was a really really important person effie meyer is a little bit of a similar episode where there's a lot of information of his accomplishments but who he was like what kind of person he was when he was at home or his family life things like that nobody bothered to write them down and so we don't really know what he was like
2: yeah, but he was born in the year 1847, and uh, he would become one of the leading characters in the Baptist movement in London. And like kind of Troy mentioned, unlike a lot of many of the people we cover on Revive Thoughts, Meyer was uh, pretty wealthy. He came from a really wealthy background. He, it's not He's not someone that had to fight his way and make his name. Uh, he comes from wealth, and it, it's kind of odd, but because of that... We there's not a lot of details to his childhood. Turns out, when you're in a rich family and just everything is is provided for you, uh, your life's kind of boring. Not a, not a lot. Not a <laughs> lot. You're not getting in a lot of trouble. You you don't have the most crazy story. Uh, you're just going through school, going through life uh, in a relatively boring life. He graduated college in 1869 uh, with a degree in theology, and in 1870 he started pastoring churches, uh, but never gained real long-term success there the first two churches he was at he was only there for three years each and uh but that second church you know towards the end of that time he actually met D.L. Moody one of the one of the the interconnecting spider webs that binds all people in the 1800s (laughs) or at least it seems like
0: At this point, if you preached in the late 1800s, and you didn't know D.L. Moody, I I just assume you weren't really a good preacher, because it seems like every single person, at least if you're from the United Kingdom or America, you were friends with D.L. Moody at some point. It just it, you should almost it, we almost don't have to say it. it's just assumed you guys cross paths <laughs> uh, but moody was actually really early in his career really early in his career when he met meyer he wasn't yet the famous moody that he would become meyer helped him become famous by connecting him with churches and really helping get his revival in britain going so in some ways like DL moody it was because of Meyer that D.L. Moody was partially able to become as famous as he was. And Charles Spurgeon was another one that helped him in those early days. Likewise, Moody had a profound effect on Meyer, too. Moody had just had this like really deep spiritual change of heart in himself. He was really passionate. He said he felt like he had been born again, again. And like he just had this almost second conversion experience. He was so alive for Christ. And that passion was contagious and it got Meyer excited about his faith too and it really reminded me of uh, if you remember our episode on Jonathan Edwards we did a long time ago George Whitfield kind of came into town and like re-inspired Jonathan Edwards to get back in there and keep going and I think that's what F.B. Meyer feels I think D.L. Moody did for him and so because of that the two of them became lifelong friends and and Moody would invite Meyer over to America to preach and and they would work together vice versa you know for the rest of their lives and they'd write letters and stuff they were they were chums.
2: Yeah, Meyer was, he was a busy guy. He, in his lifetime, had more, you know, if he was submitting a resume towards the end of his life, it would be a binder full of just different positions that he's filled, different things that he's done. Here's a a list, a bridged version of some of his accomplishments in his life. By the way, Troy, on a side note, I feel like uh, I can always tell when you wrote a paragraph because you love bullet points like you love <laughs> like here here's some just a list a few of them off and then there's just bullet points like that's a troy paragraph <laughs> if i've ever that
0: seen that is one. that's true that is definitely a highlight especially if you do listen to our deep dive episodes yeah you will always yeah. see just a bunch of lists on everything
2: yeah uh, so uh the bullet point number one okay so uh he was at one point, the president of the Sunday Schools Union there in the UK. He was president of the National Union of Christian Endeavor. He was the founder of the Southern London Missionary Training College. He was also the founder of a mission society hall called Melbourne Hall. He wrote over 70 books books. He was the president of the National Free Churches. He did multiple world tours that would include preaching across all of Asia and South Africa.
0: So he was very busy. Uh, One man I read about uh, called him a Christian socialist, which I think this view is wrong, but the idea that he cared about the conditions of workers was really true. Workers in those days tended to be taken advantage of a lot and uh, you know, this is kind of at the end of the Industrial Revolution, so he worked really hard to see that they had better conditions than they did before. He was also deeply, deeply involved with social and cultural issues. He worked and helped out with the temperance movement, and his goal was like to get all the saloons shut down in uh, England. But he also worked to end the brothels and prostitution in England. Uh, his team, the people who he would work with, kinda had a two-pronged approach. Where on the one hand they went to the courts and they went to like the government and they kept asking that like prostitution and these brothels would be, you know, closed down on a legal level. But then on the other side of it too, they also would send people individually to the prostitutes to counsel them and let them know there was a way out and provide like homes and work and employment so they didn't feel like they had to you know, be prostitutes. And over the course of his lifetime, his team and him were involved in shutting down 500 different like prostitution houses. He shut down so many that the London newspaper complained about him and called him Meddling Meyer because he would just get, in the, get involved. He was so involved in shutting these things down. Um, Another thing that makes him different than I think a lot of things today uh, is that he was a big fan of pacifism, which if you don't know much about history, the church, a lot of church people were really into pacifism in the late 1800s, early 1900s, Um, and and some of you might still be, I'm not saying, you know, but this was very popular for a lot of people at that time. And in 1916, right in the middle of World War I, uh, the French government was basically saying, if you didn't go, you know, fight on the front, we're going to execute you, And uh, there was a group of men who were on their way to being executed. F.P. Meyer kind of went and visited them, kind of brought some national press spotlight because these people were just saying, look, as a Christian, I don't feel like I can go take a gun and kill somebody. And uh, because of that, they were on their way to the execution. So it's not really a matter of courage because they were willing to die. Um, But because of F.P. Meyer going there and saying, hey, there needs to be room for religious convictions Uh, they were their lives were were saved the convictions went through but they didn't actually get taken to the execution block because there was too much press and attention on it Um, so just an interesting thing. He was a very Very involved in like the social Front of things.
2: Yeah, he helped uh, Popularize the idea that the second coming of christ was imminent and he literally signed a declaration with other clergy in london Uh, this this kind of testament this agreement that the the second coming was right around the corner but more then that, his claim to fame, kind of what he was known for the most, is really driving home uh, his desire to have people have a close relationship with God. He wanted people's relationship with God to go beyond doctrine and books, and uh, this is also would probably motivate him more than anything is to have people feel close to God, not just head knowledge, but to really have that emotional connection to God. And there's people that uh, fairly would criticize that this would uh, push people away from doctrine and, and teaching and you know there there is a balance to be had there but Meyer saw it as more of getting people who had grown stale to revive their pursuit of God and pursuit of evangelism.
0: More than anything, what people really liked about Meyer is that he was very practical. He took matters of theology and the Bible and just applied them to make them really easy for people to understand and you will see this in the sermon you are going to listen to where he takes the idea of intercessory prayer and makes it easy to understand for believers today I think this is a powerful sermon on prayer and sermons on prayer we've done a lot of them I think they're really important for us all to keep in mind and have that refresher and reminder sometimes of how important prayer is
1: Thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Philippians 1, 3, and 4. The epistles of Paul are full of allusions to his prayers. We might almost call them his prayer book. Let us verify that statement by turning to the epistles as they come on the pages of the Bible. God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request. Romans 1, 9 and 9-10 I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 1, 4 I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Ephesians 1, 15-16 For this cause I bow my knees to the Father, Ephesians 3.14 We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Colossians 1.3 I wish that you knew what great struggle I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. Colossians 2.1 We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. 1 Thessalonians 1.2 Wherefore also we pray always for you. 2 Thessalonians 1.11 I thank God that without ceasing I have a remembrance of you. 2 Timothy 1.3 I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. Philemon 4. These texts are sufficient to substantiate the assertion that the epistles of Paul abound in allusions to his prayers on behalf of his converts. And just as our Lord Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede, so the true pastor, Sunday school teacher, or Christian friend should day and night, without ceasing, remember the saved and unsaved of his charge in prayer. But there was a special liberty in the apostles' prayer, for in verse 4 he says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request my supplication with joy. Those of us who know what it is to pray are familiar with the alternations that come over the soul when it waits before God. There are some tracts and passages in our daily prayer life which we tread with difficulty and tears. For those who seem so inflexible, for those who appear to have turned their backs forever upon God, For certain churches that appear hopelessly desolate and barren, we plead with strong crying and tears. We tread these acres of our prayer life with weeping, sowing seed destined to bear an abundance of harvest fruit. There are other parts of our daily prayer life that are brightened with joy. When we come to pray for a beloved child, for some kindred spirit, for some blessed work of God which enjoys the perpetual dew of His favor, then It is easy to pray, and we make our supplication and request with joy. We know exactly what Paul meant when he had said there was a liberty, a freedom, a gladness in prayer, which infused his heart as he prayed for the Philippians. Nothing would be better for most of us than a great revival in our habits of private prayer. Perhaps we cannot do as Luther, who was accustomed to say, I have so much work to do today that I cannot get through it with less than three hours of prayer. Or as Andrews, who regularly set apart five hours each day for private devotion. Or as Law, the author of The Serious Call, who was accustomed, as the clock rang out each third hour, to turn to prolonged prayer, allocating to each occasion some special subject. But that we should pray more, that we should labor in prayer as Epaphras did, that we should cultivate the art of prayer. This is clear. Habits of prayer need careful cultivation. The instinct and impulse are with us by the grace of the Holy Spirit, but we need to cultivate the gracious inward movements until they become solidified into an unbending practice. As far as possible, we should set apart one period in each day for prayer, and there can be no question that the morning hour is best. When the body is fresh from sleep, and before the rush of daily thought, care and activity invades the mind. Here we hold intercourse with our nearest and dearest, Then the bells ring for churches, and it is wise to heed their call. Give him your first thoughts, so shall you keep him company all day, and in him sleep, a place to pray. It is also good to have a chapel. There should be, as far as possible, one room and one spot in the room, or one garden path, or a walk over the river or beside the sea, where our seasons of private devotion are spent and our prayers are likely to be made. The posture is a secondary matter. Many a heaven-moving prayer has been uttered whilst the feet have been plodding along the road or the hands plying their toils or when weakness has chained the body to the couch. While Paul was floating for a night and a day in the deep, his soul was as much wrapped in the spirit of prayer as when he was in a trance in the temple. A rich man, visited by his pastor, was in sore distress because when praying during the night, he had not removed his nightcap. His scruples were, however, allayed by the wise and skillful reply. Some people pray, as Christians mostly do, with their shoes on and their heads uncovered. Others, like the Jews and Mohammedans, pray with their heads covered and their shoes off. Now, I dare say, my friend, when you prayed, you did not have your shoes on? No, sir, I hadn't was the eager answer, and the troubled soul was comforted. But it would have been far better if it had never been troubled. It is of real service to have the fixed closet and the habitual attitude there, but it is a great mistake to magnify any of these accidents and circumstances as though they were essential. For the main point for each of us is to have a spirit of prayer, so that the exercise is not irksome and tedious, but that the spirit may spring to it with delight. We must not, however, wait for the high tide to rise before we launch forth on the voyage. If there is no deep water, we must make what use we can of the shallows. If we cannot step off to the big ship, we must make for it in the little boat, which draws only a foot or two of water. If the gale is not blowing to fill our flagging sails, We must make what use we can of the light breezes that dimple the calm and lethargic ocean. Good is it when the soul leaps toward the prayer hour, as a child to mother, or wife to husband. But failing this eager desire, let us pray because we ought and because the supreme lover of souls will be disappointed if we do not appear at the place to keep our appointment. The ways by which the sluggish soul can be incited to pray are many, and hints may be jotted down here which will be useful. For starters, when the hour for prayer arrives, allow time for staying on the threshold of the temple to remember how great God is, how greatly He is to be praised, and how great your needs are. Remember the distance between you and Him, and be sure that it is filled with love. Recall the promises that bid you to approach. Consider all the holy souls that have entered and are entering those same places. And do not forget the many occasions in which the lowering skies have cleared, the dark clouds have parted, and weakness has become power during one brief spell of prayer. We especially need the aid of the Holy Spirit who helps our infirmities in prayer. He kindled the spark of devotion at the first and knows well how to fan it into a flame. It is good to confide in Him, to confess that you would but cannot pray that your desires are languid and your love cool, that the lips which should be touched with fire are frostbitten, that the wings which ought to have borne you to heaven are clipped. He understands and loves to be appealed to and will assuredly quicken the flagging soul until it mounts up as on eagle wings, running without wearying and walking without faintness. One look to the spirit of prayer will find him in the heart. As our teacher he begins to repeat the words of petition which we lisp after him. As our comforter and paraclete, he stands beside us, showing us where to aim our petitions and steadying our trembling hands. As the spirit of life, he makes us free from the law of sin and death. Felt art thou and relieving tears, fall nourishing our young resolves. Felt art thou and our icy fears, the sunny smile of love dissolves. It is advisable to use the Bible specially and afterwards some spirit-stirring book, be it memoir or spiritual treatise, to stir up the black hot coals and compel them to break into a heaven-ascending flame. The story of George Mueller, of James Gilmore, or of David Brainerd, the writings of Samuel Rutherford, Andrew Murray, and Francis Ridley Havergal or maybe the poetry of Horatius Bonar and John Keble, are of good use in this direction. Sometimes it will be the confession of recent backsliding and inconsistency which have drawn a veil over the face of Christ. Sometimes the overflowing of thanksgiving as you count over your blessings one by one. Sometimes the urgency of needing to intercede for some beloved friend or friends. But always, if you look for it, you may discover some wave of blessed helpfulness, which, flowing up on the shore of your life, will, as it recedes, afford you an opportunity of passing out with it from the high and dry stones to the bosom of the heaving ocean. One condition of successful prayer must never be forgotten. We must believe that God is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. The Father is the object of our prayer, through the mediation of our Lord Jesus and by the aid of the Holy Spirit. But however we conceive of it, whether the Father, the Son, or the Holy Spirit is the prominent object before our thought, we must believe that there is an eye that witnesses our poor endeavors, an ear that listens, a mind that can be impressed and affected by our requests. But further, we need a living faith which reckons on the faithfulness of God and believes that it has already received its petitions, when they are founded on specific promises and evidently prompted by the Holy Spirit. When we pray, it is not enough merely to speak a long list of requests into the ear of God. It becomes us to wait after each one, and to receive by a trusting act of the soul. It is as though we saw God take from the shelves of His storehouse the boon on which we had set our heart, label it with our name, and put it aside until the precise moment arrived in which He could bestow it on us without hurt. But whether it is in our hands or not is of small matter, because we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. 1 John 5.15 Well, may George Herbert sing, Oh, what an easy, quick access, my blessed Lord, art Thou! How suddenly... May our requests thine ear invade To show that state dislikes not easiness If I but lift mine eyes, my suit is made Thou canst no more not hear than thou canst die Since then these three wait on thy throne Ease, power, and love I value prayer so That were I to leave all but one Wealth, fame, endowments, virtues, all should go I and dear prayer would together dwell and quickly gain, for each inch lost, an L.
2: Thank you for listening to today's episode of Revive Thoughts. Today's episode was narrated by Nick Garland. If you like today's episode, check out our website revivethoughts.com. There you can find the transcript for today's episode and all of our episodes. Troy, I'm assuming, hopefully next week, will will your your soundproofed studio will be uh, one inch one one leg closer to being constructed. Is that fair to th- say?
0: Yeah, we have all the best teams in Cambodia currently working on constructing a nice sound quality room. And when I say all the best teams, I mean me and my wife. So hopefully this most quality team i know (laughs) so hopefully by next week things will sound a little bit normal thank you for listening and being patient with us as we kind of transition through all this but yeah next week this will sound a lot better this is troy and jill and this is revive thoughts